You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 21, recorded in January 2012. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. And my name is Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. Sandy, glad to be back with you for episode number 21. And I'm glad that we have a guest with us again today to teach us more about how we can utilize our resources and knowledge to end human trafficking. And I'm so grateful for all these wonderful resources and relationships you have all over the world. And so uh, I know our guest today is going to be phenomenal at helping us to gain more traction on this issue. Well, I'm really excited to have our guest today. I met her first when I was invited over to Las Vegas to meet with a team that work with commercially sexually exploited children. And then she and part of her team came to Vanguard when we had the Juvenile Justice Summit. Mm, okay. And I learned so much from her because of her direct experience with working with many, many of these victims and trying to figure out the best way to address that. She's going to be part of our March Ensure Justice Conference coming oh, up March 2nd and 3rd. Good. It's time to get your registration in, Dave, if you haven't, at gcwj.vanguard.edu. I'm actually going to be doing mine in the next few days here because I have it on my list to get it in and to get on the uh, registration list. Because you want the early bird special, I right? Do, I, that's exactly what I have on my my uh, task list is to get in before the early, early bird special finishes. So before I introduce our guest, I do want to tell you that if you have a question and you want to call it in, you can call the direct line 714-966-6360 and leave a voicemail and we'll use that question in our next um, podcasts. Also, you can email directly to gcwj at vanguard.edu. And I don't know if we've mentioned this recently, Sandy, but we do, of course, have a Facebook page set up as well, which has not only the podcast episodes on it, but in addition to that, a lot of conversation and articles and dialogue that is valuable for anyone who cares deeply about ending this issue. And so uh, go ahead and if you're on Facebook and you haven't already tapped into that, do a search on Facebook for the Global Center for Women and Justice. That's, again, uh, here at Vanguard University, and you'll be able to find us there, connect with us, and really join the dialogue that will help all of us to stay connected in being able to uh, address the issues, but also to be able to study the issues so we can really make a difference. Exactly. So I'm excited to introduce to you Esther Brown. Um, when she introduces herself, she often remarks about her accent from Mississippi, but I have to tell you a secret. It's not Mississippi. It's Barcelona, Spain. Uh I'm like, do we have the music? I I don't have any, I don't have any Barcelona music, no. But she doesn't live in Barcelona anymore. She is the sexually exploited youth project administrator in Las Vegas, Nevada. So Esther, welcome. Thank you. How are you guys? Thank you for having me here today. Well, I'm excited. I want you to explain to our listeners what your job title means. Sexually Exploited Youth Project Administrator. What do you do? 
<laughs> well, um, we will need the 30 minutes only to explain you what I do, right? But uh, the the long title that I have it was it's 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 created just to give a um uh overview of the um, the part of the job that we're doing for this project. Um, we're trying to bring that the goal number one is um trying to identify who are the victims of sexual exploitation in Las Vegas and also the ones who come from other jurisdictions. Um, how many of these girls uh, or boys, because we have some boys too, a few, um, are dual system, um, so they are part of the child welfare or the dependency system, as you say, in California, and in delinquency at the same time. And what type of the resources uh, we have in our community and in other states so we can bring those resources together to serve and uh, cover the needs of these victims. Wow. And then I'm also, yeah, I'm also in, in, um, I have to put together trainings and conferences and I have to write protocols and uh, things that are kind of bore. Wow. So you're, you're really like a bridge between kids who are in dependency and then end up in delinquency. Yes, pretty much. And specific, those ones who are victims of sexual exploitation. Part of my job is also working directly with the victims. Uh, um, sometimes I have to go and pick them up from, uh, from whatever they are. I go to detention and interview them. And, uh, and again, trying to bring all the players together, probation, um, CPS investigators, caseworkers, service providers, lawyers, you know, everybody who is working with this particular child in the system, that we can sit in a table and talk about the case so we can bring um, our ideas and brainstorm and, and, and bring different resources that everybody has for the well-being of this child. Now, you mentioned um, that you work with kids who are from other jurisdictions. What do you mean by that? Well, Las Vegas, because everybody want to come to Las Vegas to have fun, we have a lot of kids who are being brought from uh, California, from um, Arizona, um, Oregon, from all these states that we have around, and they are being brought to Las Vegas to, to be exploited. So what happened is that when a girl uh, or boy is arrested and um, this particular kid is from California, now, we have to have a contact person or we have to create a relationship with those states or with those counties, LA County, San Bernardino. So when we bring the kid back, because the judge is going to transfer the case back to where the kid comes from, we can make sure that that child and the other end have a lineup services that will be effective for, um, for her or for him. Now, you said that you do the interviews in detention. So explain to us, um, if they're in detention, that means they're in, in juvenile, the juvenile detention center, um, and they're not in a, a, a group home. Why would we put a victim in detention? Yeah, that's a great question, and, and that's what, that's part of, of my job, too, in this position, is uh, to really start treating them as victims because we, we know they're victims, but we're still treating the kids as delinquents. And it's because it's a lack of a safe home. We don't have a safe house, a safe place in Las Vegas, even though that is kind of unbelievable, right, because this is kind of the hub, the hub of human trafficking for minors. 
But we don't have a drop-in shelter for victims of sexual exploitation or human trafficking, and we also we, we don't have either um, a safe home where these victims can be assessed and they can be secure and safe. So, therefore, the judge has to keep them in detention because the majority of these kids, they will run back to the pen, or the pen will come and pick them up when we put them in the only shelter that we have that is not secure. Why do they um, run so, back to the pimp? Well, because because it's, it's what they know. Some of these kids, they really don't have any other place to go. And um, and it's very similar. Um, a part of we can get into the, um, the Stockholm Syndrome and, and other things that come with the trauma that they have to go through. It's very similar to what happened with domestic violence. People always ask, okay, well, why they go back to their aggressor? Why they keep coming back? Because they create this trauma bound with the, with the trafficker, with the PIM. Sometimes there is a lack of support around these kids. They are homeless or their families are broken. There is nothing positive. Um, so... The easy and, and what they know sometimes is easier to go back. Of course, it's fear because sometimes they threat them and they threat their, their families as well. So it's a lot of um, lies they go back to the pimp. Hmm. You know, Sandy and Esther, but you know, listening to this conversation, um, and you know, you you both have just tremendous expertise in this area, and of course, I have very limited expertise. But one of the things that I really have noticed as we talk about victims of human trafficking is that, um, you know, the, the, the belief that I think many uh, people have, and, and I probably did at some point too, of how, why don't people just uh, go away? You know, why don't people run away? Why don't people just exit the system and, or try to get out of the situation? And how important it is to recognize, and we hear Esther saying this again today too, of the psychological aspects of you know dependency that that come up and that really don't make this just a being physically bound but being mentally and emotionally bound as well too and i i, I just noticed that as in your conversation already and i think it's it's interesting sandy how much this continues to come up as a as an obstacle for victims esther you mentioned the trauma bond and uh, i think mm-hmm. i think that's a, a critical aspect for us to understand could you uh, explain that a little bit more yeah, um, and and we we cannot um, when we talk about these victims, we cannot talk about uh, with a blind side. We have to see the whole picture. The majority of these kids, um, I don't have the the statistics, uh, but I, I was talking to one of our justices here from the Supreme Court, and he was telling me the um, from all the kids that she saw when she was a judge and delinquency side, ninety five percent they were coming from or they had at one point contact with the child welfare system with the dependency side. So we have to look at the as a whole. These kids coming from broken homes, these kids coming from uh, foster homes or group homes, or they, the majority of these girls also, big um, 90%, they had um, some type of sexual abuse when they were little. So they already come in a shape that, that, that they already had trauma coming from where they're coming from. Now, when a people trafficker get in, um, in touch with these girls, the majority of the girls that they recruit, they are not being kidnapped and forced to be into prostitution because 
when people think about human trafficking, they have in um, the movie Taken, right? If they yeah. kidnap the girl and that's it. And, and that not, doesn't happen too often. That doesn't mean that these kids are there because they want to be. They are being lured into prostitution. The parents are very smart. They give them all the needs that they, that they, they cover the, the primary needs, which is food, shelter, and attention. That's some, it's human needs. Everybody needs that. So when the pen cover that, then they start seasoning the victims. And uh, first, they make them fall in love with them so they can create that dependency. You are the only person who cares about me. Um, he's, he loves me. He wants me to be the mother of, her, of his child. He really cares about me. That's all the things that the girls tell me when, when I talk to them. When the pen has completely control of their mind, now they start with uh, fear. And they beat the girls around this new girl. And now they start beating this new girl. And sometimes I saw crazy things like burning them with cigarettes, mm. um, tattooing them so they, everybody knows this is a piece of property. So they create all these trauma bonds. It's very similar, really, to the Stockholm Syndrome, right? They they know... Yeah. That this that they don't want to be there, but they they have this strong dependency that is so hard to to break. I was myself a victim of domestic violence many many years ago, so I guess I'm a survivor now. And 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 I asked myself why I didn't leave. It's because of a lot of things. It's because of fear. It's because you think you're in love with that person. It's because you think things are going to change. Because it's not all the time. It's not bad. And for these girls either. Is um, sometimes it's bad and sometimes it's good. We have them that take the, the girls to Disneyland and they do trips, but when it's bad, it's very bad. Mm. So it takes years of treatment and uh, therapy to break this um, bond that they have with the pimp. They don't buy their, their clothes, they don't know how to cook because basically they don't get fed. I mean, it's, it's a lot of things that... It is a lot of things that come into the play. So, you know, to to do this job as the sexually exploited youth project administrator, what does your typical day look like? Well, I, really, I can schedule a day that I think, wow, I have a pretty good day today, and it's going to look that I can be in my office in front of my computer putting together all these papers that I need to do and writing down things. And suddenly uh, everything changed because I got a call from detention. The one of the girls want to talk to me. I got a call from the vice detective. Um, they did a new arrest. Or so maybe it's this girl that they didn't catch an act of solicitation, but they know that she's soliciting to see if I can talk to her in the family and bring resources. Then, so really, my the only the only day of the week that I know what I'm doing is Wednesdays because I'm there with Judge Roy in the courtroom, and it's when we have our vice calendar. So mm-hmm. that's the only day that isn't touchable, and every Wednesday I have to be in court with the girls. Yeah, and I, um, I'm glad you mentioned Judge Voy because he's going to come and be part of our conference as well. And it's so important for our community to understand what you're doing and how difficult it is. And I, I think um, recently we had a phone appointment, and, and you had to go to court why is it so important for you to be there with the girls in court? 
Because right now we don't have a lot of advocates, and, and that was what I was doing before I, t- I took over this position. Um, uh, they need to know that the, there is there somebody for them that doesn't represent law enforcement or the courts. They, the majority of the girls, they really don't know what my position is. They always say that I'm a youth advocate or I'm a victim advocate. So really, they they don't know what really my position is and that I'm working along with the courts. So, but for them, it's very important to have a familiar face who is not accusing them of anything at all. So, mm-hmm. um, yes, they they feel comfortable. They feel the, um, there is as uh, emotional um, support. And right now, part of my plan is to create a group of victim advocates, like we have with CASA, right? The court advocacy programs, yes. but specifically for these victims that they can go, the advocate can go with them to juvenile court and then they can go with them to adult court when they have to um, testify against their traffickers or other pimps. Now that's a really very traumatic. That's a really important aspect. When you mentioned they have to go to adult court to testify Mm -hmm. against the trafficker, the perpetrator. Um, If, If they run away, if we don't keep them safe and secure, then we have no witness. What happens to that perpetrator? What happens to that human trafficker if she doesn't testify? It goes free, and that's one of our problems. It's, it's so um, sometimes it's so complicated because we revictimize these victims again through the system because of the things that they need to do, so we can put these traffickers away. So as you said very well, if we don't have the victim testifying, the trafficker go free and, and nothing happens. But of course, it's very traumatic for these girls to, first of all, turn in who they think was um, his boyfriend or is his boyfriend, I mean, her boyfriend or her lover or the person who takes care of them. Number two is... Um, they have all this mentality of a sneaking because sometimes some girls, they come from the gang culture. So it's very difficult to break into that sneaking um, mentality. You don't sneak and you don't talk. And number three is, is we be, they have to revive again all the trauma. And mm. they have to go sometimes in front of the, tra- the, the court and with the candy sitting there looking at them and explain all the things that he did to her. So as you can imagine, it's, it's a very traumatic experience. Wow. So, so I'm so glad that you're there with them. But if if we don't provide the services to support that girl or that boy, um, they're not going to be prepared to testify, and the perpetrator goes free. That's what I understood, right? Yeah, and, and we have other organizations that we work together, like Salvation Army. Um, they also do victim advocacy with them in court. Um, sometimes Dr. Bradley also go with the girls to the court. So, um, and, and that's because we, right now, we don't have um, a group of victim advocates who are being uh, trained, properly trained to go with the girls. So we have um, in YAP also the youth advocacy program, they do that too. But of course, everybody has their own jobs and and they go when they can, right? Mm -hmm. Because they provide other services. So um, what we would like to see is a group of 
advocate that that's their job. That's what they're going to do. And this advocate is going to go with them from the beginning to end. This past week, I had the privilege of doing a two-hour training on commercial sexual exploitation of children for the Orange County CASA volunteers, court-appointed special advocates. And over and over again, um, as we went through this, these people who are volunteers who, who take one child's issue and go to court with them every time, see them regularly, they're that familiar face to be with them. Over and over, these wonderful community volunteers said, that sounds just like the risk factors that are involved with my kid that I'm working with. If if So they began to see that if I don't show up, this could be um, what would happen to the child that I'm advocating for. They could end up um, in in juvenile delinquency issues, or they could end up in Las Vegas in your court. So mm-hmm. community engagement can be as simple as being a CASA volunteer for one child. And in Orange County, we have 800 CASA volunteers. I think that's pretty yeah, phenomenal. CASA, it's, yeah, it's great. We have in Vegas, too, the CASA uh, program, and they do a wonderful job. In, um, so we, I'm, I'm looking into everybody, you know, because if we can partner with CASA, maybe that's also. So I'm looking every aspect of, of uh, collaboration not to reinvent anything or create anything new because we already have some of the resources here. So we need to to take advantage of what is in place already. Now, there's two more questions that I have because I Mm -hmm. can't believe how fast our time goes when we're talking about these things. Uh, First of all, you mentioned the connection between gangs and how that impacts how willing um, the child is to testify because of fear of, of gang reprisals. Um, how prevalent are gangs in all of this? Well, it's every every day, every time is more prevalent. My actually, my background is in gangs. That's how I started working with youth. Um, I have my own program that we teach the similarities between gangs and genocide. And I used to work with the hardcore um, kids that are involved in gangs and in the system. So right now, think about it, it's uh, way cheaper to lure a girl into prostitution and um and way more you way you make more money because there is no a big uh initial investment. When the gangs have to buy weapons or drugs to to sell in the in the community, number one, the investment the initial investment is, is big and you only can sell that one time, right? Mm-hmm. You only want to sell the weapon one time to that person and drugs the same. When you look at a girl into prostitution, the initial investment is very low because normally you're just going to do their nails, their hair, you're going to buy some food, and you're going to play uh, Romeo with them, and that's your initial investment. Second of all, you can sell that girl as many times as you want. These girls get uh, sell every day six, seven, ten times a day. So mm. the money that they bring is so big that now we have rival gangs getting together and collaborating for the sake of the money. Wow. Because it's so much. We recently hosted Dr. Laura Letter on this show, and she began a research project to identify cases in uh, court that have already been uh, closed that had to deal with gang 
issues that are related to commercial sexual exploitation of children. So I think this is something that is becoming more um, prevalent in our understanding, at least in our communities. And speaking of our communities, Esther, tell us at least three things that you want from your community that would help us stop this. Well, um, I think that uh, we, we right now we are doing some things, but I, number one, I would like to see the community more engaged in uh, putting pressure on the on the people who really can make the big changes, which are our our elected elected officials. We really need a safe home and a drop-in shelter, and I think that if the community come together and request these um, to our elected officials then this can happen. Um, number two, I think it's important to bring together everybody, faith-based community, not faith-based, schools. Um, everybody needs to know about the issue and start thinking on these victims as victims and not as uh, throwaway children. And, and number three, I think in the most important sometimes is that we really truly need to work together and, and uh, leave our egos out at the door mm-hmm. and our personal issues out at the door and understand that this is not about us, this is about them. It's about the kids and about their safety. And if we can start with these three things, um, I can sleep together as we say in Spanish. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, I'm, um, I think the idea of, of a safe home a lot of people don't really understand what that means. And I think what you explained earlier about these girls needing to go to court helps us get a better picture of what a safe home is. It's not just a place where um, we have locks so people can't get in, but it's secure so that the girls um, or the boys are not able to run because of all of the psychology. So a safe house is secure from both sides of the door. Is that clear? Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. You 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 explain it very well. Okay. And and the drop-in shelter. Um there this is becoming um a trend that we're starting to see that helps um kids who um have gotten out but they just need encouragement every week. And I think we're going to see more drop-in shelters and I'd like to hear more models. And so if anyone's listening and you know of a drop-in shelter in your area, such as um, uh, in New York and up in San Francisco, um, in Portland, they have they have one. Mm-hmm. Let's start talking about that and see where that's going and how ma- that's something a community can come together to do. And your second point about bringing the community together. I mean, that's one of our goals with our Ensure Justice Conference, standing together to end exploitation of girls. We want everybody to come, not just the professionals. We want the people who could become an advocate for just one girl or one boy. We want the people who would um, support a drop-in center by by baking once a week. It takes the whole community to really do something that's going to end this. Yeah. Yes, you got it. You summarize it very well. You, your English is way better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you bring up another point, and we've only got just two minutes left. But one of the things I want people to understand, too, is that a lot of these kids that are being exploited 
are not necessarily all um, our own American citizens, but there are immigrant populations where kids are very much at risk. So the fact that your Spanish is so much better than mine um, is a real advantage because you can help victims that aren't able to communicate what's happening to them in English. Do you have Spanish-speaking victims? Yes, we do. And actually, some of our victims uh, appear to be domestic because they were brought to the country at a very young age. and But then it happened to be that they are being they are uh, international victims, and um, the majority of the time when we encountered um, international victims, we can work, we work with Salvation Army, so we can get them the T visas, and they can get um, the the benefits that they that, that they deserve. But yeah, it helps a lot, especially with the families, because sometimes the kids speak English more or less, kind of like me, but the families they don't, so it's it's. Yeah, it's great that I can speak um, Spanish and I can communicate with victims. And, you know, when you're in a position, when you're in a situation of trauma, you want to speak in your in your mother language. You feel better speaking That's in right. your mother language. Esther, I think you are the perfect person to be the Sexually Exploited Youth Project Administrator in Las Vegas. And we are so happy to have you as a partner with our Ending Human Trafficking podcast and as a presenter at our upcoming conference to ensure justice and stand together to end the exploitation of girls. Thank you very much, Sandy. Thank you so much for having me here and for all your nice words. Thank you. Oh, we'll see you soon. All right. See you soon. Bye-bye. You know, Sandy, every time we have a conversation with somebody, I'm just reminded how much of, how much I don't know. You know, I hear new terms all the time, drop in shelter, something I had never heard until today. Mm. And so uh, I think probably the same is true for many members of our audience. And so if you're wanting to learn more, meet Esther, meet other folks like her, and hear from people who are really doing great work around this, be sure to check out the conference, GCWJ. Dot vanguard.edu. You can register. The early bird registration lasts until when, Sandy? February 12th. Okay, great. So hop online to look for that. And of course, if you have questions or comments for us, gcwj at vanguard.edu, or you can call us 714-966-6361. Sandy, look forward to seeing you in a couple weeks. Thanks, Dave. Bye. Bye.